0: Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast, a big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey, everyone. Look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia Net gator. And a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you gotta do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. All right. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the Canon with Jordan Chrisman, account manager at Arion, solids control enthusiast and enjoyer of life. Man, that sums you up nicely, buddy. How you uh, doing today?
1: I'm doing good, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, good. being here.
0: Yeah, good. And you also had someone else on your LinkedIn too, which it's burner of retorts, not flags, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's, man. That's, that's,
0: I, I like that. Where did that, did you just make that up yourself?
1: Yeah, no, I just, with everything going on, you know, it just kind of came to my head one day and yeah. I was like, you know what? That's a good little slogan there, especially for guys on the mud side. So. Yeah, no. And but I need to make some shirts.
0: Yeah. You know what? That could be a huge trend. You could make a, some serious swag and then right, have it man. like, you know, make it a scarcity. Like, you know, you only make a certain amount and anyone who has, Limited it's part of a club. Of five. Yeah. <laughs> and for anyone out there who doesn't know, burning a retort is, is basically, you know, you burn off whether it's solids or whether it's a fluid and then you can identify the solids portion the water portion and you know the oil portion and so when you know burn that versus burning a flag obviously is i found that quite comical but it's true it's like hey you know let's Get back to business and let's tr- let's try and become a peaceful nation again no. here because things are things are a little wacky, but nonetheless, we're here to talk more about yourself. Yeah. Not the, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we could dive into politics, but so did you like the cold front we just got? I mean, it, it,
1: yeah, what, 90, 91, I think yesterday. It was good. That was nice. Yeah, you know?
0: And then this morning it was brisk at like 66 degrees. At least it wasn't my house.
1: Yeah, no, it was good. Good. Running this morning. Uh, yeah. I didn't sweat as much as I wanted to because of that, but yeah, no, it was... <laughs> Nice. nice nice and chilly
0: so you know what's funny is i had an appointment this morning and the lady said oh it's so nice and chilly out and you know growing up in canada i'm always like when it's warm out you're oh it's so nice and warm out today yeah. and like here it's the ex- exact opposite people are like oh it's so nice and cold out today i'm like what are you crazy yeah, like, exactly. I, I woke up this morning i like to go outside and make it feel like i'm in the tropics and so it was a little chilly this morning it was kind of sad to know that summer's coming <laughs> to an
1: end It'll be back in like two days, so don't worry. Yeah,
0: exactly, right? Our two-day
1: winters here are are amazing.
0: (laughs) The winters here, I'd rather it be cold and snowing than like kind of chilly, humid, and rainy all the time. Oh, yeah.
1: Just give me four seasons, you know? Yeah. Don't don't give me a season and a half.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I do miss the snow. I miss the snow more so for Christmas. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing like waking up on Christmas morning with the snow. Yeah. It's magical, and it's just something about – Especially at night with all the lights and this and you know glistening off the snow and it's like a winter wonderland. Oh yeah, have you ever experienced that? Or?
1: No, yeah, well, so snow, yeah, we we've experienced some snow, you know, in Colorado. You know, obviously doing some work over there as a kid. You know, we went skiing a couple times in Breck. Oh nice. So got to go do that, you know, take part. But here in Houston, no. In Louisiana, no. We we don't we don't You didn't wake up
0: Christmas morning and go and do snow angels and roll snowmen?
1: No, I mean you you know the pools are still open during Christmas time, so you can go (laughs) swimming, you know. It's definitely definitely different down here. So every now and then you'll get a cold, cold Christmas, but for the most part it's yeah, huh. You'd be lucky if it's you know forty or fifty degrees outside.
0: Right. So, I can't. I still can't get over driving with Christmas lights and there's the grass is green and yeah. there's still trees <laughs> that like it's so odd to me to, oh, yeah. to see that. I think I could live here for fifty years and still not get over the fact that it feels like Christmas in summertime. I don't know. It's just weird to me. But oh, yeah. either way, I'm I'm adapting and i guess there's nothing to complain about i could move my uh, canadian butt back to canada if i really <laughs> wanted to but i'm okay where i'm at well so. now it's
1: an american butt man that's
0: true yeah for everyone out there i got nationalized last november so i'm a fellow canadian actually i was texting so in grad school right now and we had a project due last night a report and i was making a joke about you know saying something to the other group members who are all you know from the us and i said oh you know you americans cuz it was something that i had formatted or grammatically but it was like more of like thing that i grew up canadian it was I forget exactly what it was, but I said, oh, you know, you Americans and your formatting. And, and one of the guys like, dude, you're American. You're American. So we're, we're all in this together. If we fail, we're in this together. Exactly. And I was like, yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. There you go. But hey, before we keep going, I just want to mention and highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. Technip FMC's FracNow ecosystem leverages flexible pipe automation and advanced digital technology to deliver greater operational efficiency, increased uptime, Lower non-productive time, remote operations, access to automation, and real-time data logging are just a few of the benefits. Find out more by clicking the link in the show notes. Firstly, man, congrats on the new addition to the family. You oh, have a little it. one that's weeks old, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, three weeks old, coming on four weeks. Oh, so, oh it's brutal, man. It's brutal. Oh,
0: there's yeah. no... To me, there was no fun part about the baby stage. No, I'm an
1: awful infant father. <laughs> I, I, I'm the first to admit <laughs> that. I tell my wife all the time, I'm like, you know, as a, yeah, as a parent... The infant stage is is my my worst stage. Mm-hmm. You, know, you got to admit your flaws, right? Yeah. So, but you know, it is what it is. You know, the the first six months are always brutal because you got a little sack of mush, basically. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that, you're, that just cries and wants to eat. You know, every two hours. So. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Another another girl. So. You know, God girls, blessed right? me with with three you know beautiful little girls so I'm wow. I'm definitely you know screwed for life but
0: yeah no it's uh, never gonna retire no no you're not and you're right though it, it's a blessing there's a lot of people out there who would, would love to be in your position but three girls for any guy i can imagine the <laughs> challenges that you're up against and hopefully you've got a good support system and someone to pull you back from the ledge every oh, once yeah, in a man. while <laughs>
1: yeah it'll soften you up though so you know yeah and we're, we knocked them out quick though so we got a three-year-old a two-year-old and now a newborn and yeah you know they're all coming in well the two oldest are coming into their personalities really good so yeah. it's, a, it's definitely a fun ride man i you know i enjoy it a lot yeah you like know being, being a parent so
0: hey it's very uh very cool it is, man. It, it presents a lot of challenges, but it makes you so much stronger oh, yeah. and really just puts things into perspective that there's a certain level of importance that when it comes to family that for me, at least I didn't realize until oh, having yeah. kids and just some of the small things like, you know, whether it's. You know, your kids coming up and smiling and wanting to hug you. There's there's just I mean, any parent out there can identify people who aren't parents probably like, yeah, yeah, I've heard all this before. Let's just move on. But one thing I did want to mention, too, is, is you did something that not very many people would probably even try and think of doing is doing a home birth.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: when so. you told me that, and and just the logistics behind it, you technically didn't do the home go birth. On, yeah. But you were there with the beer in hand, watching your oh, TV, yeah. everything. You know, oh, had yeah. the had the full elemental, you know, just the right feng shui happening there. But no, how did it go? I mean, like, was, just explain it.
1: Yeah, man. So my wife's always wanted to do it. You know, it's been a passion of hers. She she's real big into that. You know, no epidural. You know, all mm. natural. You know, she wanted to do that with the first child. I was scared Mm. (laughs) you know to to say lightly because there's risk obviously you you think there's a lot of risk right you always think there's risk in that but you know once you get into it you realize that it's there's really not as much risk as you'd think right so the first child though i was like you know let's just have it at a hospital let's let's make this normal right Mm -hmm. and we knocked that out in san antonio everything went well she ended up getting an epidural for the first child so it was kind of a it was always a bummer for her right you mm. know not not having the baby but not getting to do what she wanted to yeah second birth we had just moved from san antonio to houston so we didn't have enough time she was going to have the baby in about a month mm. so we didn't have enough time to you know get the midwife set up and everything like that so did another hospital birth but she didn't have the epidural this time not, you know no ivs nothing so it was a. Uh, she was happy about that. That was a quick one too. We almost had the baby on forty-five. So yeah, for anybody <laughs> in, in Houston, yeah, we were driving to the wood ones from Tomball and. Yeah, that one was. Scary. It just came quick,
0: <laughs> dude. That's crazy. she Called me on
1: the twelfth hole, man, and I was. She was like, "I think I'm going into labor." I was like, "Well, maybe I got a birdie putt, like." Yeah. You know, I got a, or <laughs> I on the got back, a- yeah, back night. I said, "Do I got time?" And she was like, "You know, right now, you know." Started screaming. So, wow. luckily, a marshal came around and, and drove me back to the car. So I was hauling, butt to get home. Yeah. And uh, I still have funny. that scorecard though. I framed it with a baby photo. No so, way. Yeah. Oh, how cool <laughs> is that? Yeah, it's cool, man. Yeah, so,
0: now you can blame her every time. You're like, you know, you ruined a good round. You route. ruined a good round. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: That was. It was probably the best round. I had that year too. No way.
0: That's yeah. crazy Crazy how it
1: works. But this one, yeah, man, I gave in. I just told my wife, I was like, yeah, if you, I mean, whatever you want to do, yeah, right. I'm here to support you. So went to meet the midwife in the Heights and she kind of walked me through it, told me everything, answered all the questions that I had as far as the concerns and the fears that you would have, you know, sure. doing that. And yeah, I felt really comfortable afterwards. You know, we, we did all the midwife appointments. It's completely different going to a midwife than, her, you know, a normal doctor, you know, you, there's not many ultrasounds. You had one. We had one, I think, ultrasound the entire pregnancy. Yeah. So you don't really get to see the baby all the time, and but it's it's a cool experience, very personal. And then, yeah, then get serious right at about like 37 weeks or whatever. They'll they'll bring the pool over. You know, you get this cool. <laughs> hey, you know what? We we started making <laughs> a joke about it because my brother, you know, was was like, hey, when are you going to send out invitation for the pool party? Yeah. You know, like- <laughs> It's like, yeah, man, we're going to have, you know, a little swim-a-thon at the house, yeah. right?
0: In my mind, I see this, like, lady with leather slippers and this, like, <laughs> makeshift dinghy pool, like, that you've blown up, yes. and it's like, you know, your kids want to jump, the other kids want to jump into it, and yes. this water with this line, and, and I mean, maybe some toys that get thrown in there, and A little I just, duck, you know? For- yeah, I, like, right away when you give birth, there's toys in there for the little one, I mean, yeah. so walk us through is there a due date or because like normally so for us like we did induction right Uh, and and fortunately the first one we didn't have to because the water broke close to the same time but you know it's set up and you rip to the hospital and then everything just it's like manufacture mode how did you know when to have the midwife over like what does that look like
1: yeah so my wife's been really her body's been really good about you know the, the pregnancies her water's always broke you know kind of around the due date first baby Our oldest daughter came on the due date. I mean, it was on the due date. Hmm. Second one was two weeks early. So at about two weeks prior to the due date that they give you from the get-go, you know, you kind of just start keeping an eye out, staying close to the house, you know, cutting back travel, especially with work and everything. Well, didn't have to worry about that really this this time because COVID. Yeah. But yeah, you know, her contraction started at about like one in the morning. She could tell it was, you know, Sunday Sunday morning and you know, our Sunday routine, you know, going to church, everything like that didn't get thrown off at all. She, she went back to bed after the initial contractions started. Mm -hmm. And then when we woke up that morning, she had just told me, she's like, Hey, the baby's definitely going to come today, but she wanted to go to church. So she went and labored at church. We made it through the entire you know, service and then went to AGB to go knock out some last minute grocery shopping <laughs> while she was laboring.
0: God, dude. Oh, that's yeah, crazy. it was nuts,
1: man. She was having to stop the whole time, you know, bend down, you know, and I was just worried that the water was going to break either A in church or B at the store. And I, yeah. I I, I just
0: what didn't. a champ. Like, she must have oh, just, she, like, she, somehow she, had, like, subconscious control over like what was going on she, but, like,
1: she's her tolerance to pain is, is bizarre man you know my wife's a, a trooper for sure well obviously i wouldn't be able to do it but if i was <laughs> in that position right if i was a female i would, <laughs> wouldn't be able to knock that out so yeah we got home and as soon as we got home and you know 45 minutes later her water broke and you know, the midwife had already gotten a text so she was on the way wow. her doula which a doula is kind of like a birthing coach okay if you want to think about it that way they help with like breathing and keeping you on top of your contractions as they get more severe. Her dual was like her best friend from San Antonio. So she, oh, okay. she drove in early in the morning to come in that day. So she actually got to the house before the midwife, which was great. Cause she's also a nurse and she had a home birth, you know, six months prior. So it, it was good to have her there. And then she had helped my wife out a lot during the contractions. And, and then, you know, the midwife, we started getting nervous because she was like, the baby's about to come and the midwife's not here yet. Oh, man. And I had one job to fill up the tub. Like, that was my job, right? <laughs> you know, I had, a, I had a garden hose hooked up to the, the shower head, right? So I could, you know, adjust the water temperature. and Yeah, I filled it up way too hot man. Oh no! <laughs> my wife put her foot in. She was like, Jesus Christ. And I was like, oh man, I felt so bad. I was like, I had one, one job. job. Yeah. So I went to the ice box, you know, to go get a, the ice out of the freezer and, and dump the whole thing in there. Oh my
0: and, goodness, dude. Oh man, it
1: was awful, yeah. So I, I you know, I, I failed miserably. Went, in the heat of the, the battle, I failed, you know. It was, <laughs> i felt like a failure that's typical husband <laughs> other, right? that's yeah. my
0: wife's like you had one job to go to the grocery store and get this one item and you yeah. came back with everything but the, but one, the one item, item
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. there i am with an open beer you know i got the golf tournament on in the bedroom <laughs> the, and all i had to do was fill up the tub and i botched that man so. <laughs> luckily the midwife got there and you know within 10 minutes of the midwife being there the baby was out you know in the pool
0: yeah so it's hard to fathom right because yeah. we're so accustomed to the western way we of birth delivery but oh, yeah. reality is for <laughs> thousands of years we've we've not seen women that. do it yeah and so it's no i applaud you guys there's definitely yeah it's intense i couldn't imagine doing it but i think it's, it's it's a cool experience and i think for a woman it's probably like oh yeah i couldn't imagine the kind of the experience going through that but either way healthy baby healthy and everything's baby, good to go man oh, so yeah, there healthy you go mama, healthy baby that's great man i'm glad to hear that i appreciate uh. it. Yeah, so switching gears for all the people who don't have kids out there, you probably you've <laughs> probably turned this off by now. But so we've known each other for not that long, but quite a while now. I think the first time we met in person was at that, that conference. IADC, IADC, that at the conference, Omni, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: You're walking around. I actually I was cleaning my office the other day and I found your your old. I don't know if you still have those business cards. Or, Podcast business. Card.
0: Oh, the OGGN, the OGGN N one. Yeah, yeah That's I the still first do. First card I had from you. No way. Okay, but I had recognized your name because you you got a relationship with the Forbes who work at AES, mm-hmm. right? And so you you've been working kind of
1: around AES. Yeah, they yeah. you know they handled an account. You know, we had just crossed paths on a similar account. You know, really nice guys. So
0: yeah, yeah, no. So like I had known of you, and then we just kind of kept in touch and hit yeah. it off. And next thing you know, we're on the same account together. And one thing that I admire about you is is I, I can identify with you because you're you know, you're always engaged, you're always willing to pick up the phone and, and you're just all about good service. And so, yeah. you know, it's been, I can't believe it's taken this long to get you on, but I'm glad <laughs> we finally did it. And we actually, we know a lot of the same people. I mean, yeah. salesmen do run around a lot of the same folks, but you know, definitely a lot of the, a lot of the same crew and yeah, just it's neat to to develop relationships, like, yeah. you know, because you and I will bounce ideas back and forth. And you say, hey, did you hear about this happening? No. Well, did you hear about this? And oh, yeah. I mean, that's what this business is all about is it's a it's a people's business. Oh, but, yeah. you know, and part of, I think, why you're successful is maybe, you know, obviously genetically predisposed to doing well at your job. But being (laughs) from New Orleans and being from Louisiana, carry some clout. So tell us, man, where are you from originally?
1: Yeah, originally from New Orleans. You know, I've lived in Texas for a very long time. Probably Mm -hmm. more more time now that I've lived in Louisiana. I moved as as a young kid over here, but I think a lot of people from Louisiana, you know, whether they move to Texas, Nebraska, you know, you name it, they're always going to say that that's where they're from. When you ask them, you know, well, where are you from? It's always going to be well New Orleans, even though I've lived in Houston for, yeah, you know, years. Yeah, but, but yeah, you know, all my family's still over there. Dad, mom, all my, you know, most of my aunts, uncles are over there. So it's definitely a fun place to be able to go back and, you know, it's, Definitely a culture that, you know, my family's going to stay in, you know, my yeah. kids. So it's, no, that's... you know, we eat, drink, and love football, Yeah, you know, <laughs> whether the Saints or Tigers, you know? So. Yeah.
0: So were you like elementary school, high school, that was all in New Orleans? No,
1: or? no, no. So moved to Texas for that. And yeah, graduated from Houston oh. for my high school. I got um, you. So do
0: you have a lot of memories growing up in New- Louisiana?
1: You know, a lot of memories going back. You know, obviously we, we went back all the time for all the holidays. We were back in, you know, New Orleans, obviously Mardi Gras, stuff like that. We'd always go back. Yeah. So kind of grew up with that as a secondary home, I would consider. So, you know, it's, it's definitely big part of, you know, who I am. Yeah. Uh, I think today and a lot of my personality.
0: Yeah, no, it is. And that's kind of why I was referring to that as people from Louisiana have a, a, a similar ish personality. And I think, you know, as, a, as someone in sales, I think they kind of have, a, I think, a natural step ahead of everybody just yeah. because of the, the fun, loving, easygoing, entertaining, just great people to be around. Yeah, work and, hard, and play hard. Yeah, people, man. Yeah, exactly. No. And, and for the most part, they're good hands. I mean, obviously everyone has hands that are not that good, but I know, you know, as a mud engineer, you know, working around Louisiana hands. Yep. A lot of them have offshore experience, so they carry a certain level of work ethic and and just experience that oh, yeah. uh, a lot of other places just don't have. You and always
1: pick up the phone when you see like a three three seven calling, <laughs> and you're <laughs> yeah. like, "Oh man, this is going to be good." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Whether it's important or just for the entertainment value, it's going to be a good conversation. So you mentioned football. Yep. You're obviously a big Saints fan. Oh yeah. Don't they kick off this weekend?
1: Yeah. So tigers are going to be later obviously they move the schedule back a little bit so okay
0: so the sec is still has a season
1: yes sec still has a season yeah it's kind of crazy right now right you yeah. know with the whole football thing you know it's you got a lot of people divided a lot of guys you know even diehard saints fans that are you know family members of mine they're like i'm not watching football this year you know really? politics and everything are getting involved but okay i try to kind of Push that aside, you know, silence. Like boycotting the NFL or something? Yeah, some, you know, it's crazy times that we're in right now, right? Yeah. Which, you know, you don't want to hear what they're talking about before the game starts. Just mute it and put some music on, you know, talk to the people that you're around and then once the game starts, put it back on, right? Yeah, for sure. But yeah, no, I'm definitely looking forward to the season kicking off. You know, it's it's gonna be a shame not being able to go to the games this year. Oh, but um, you know, that's a big part of it. So. Yeah. But no, it's still gonna be still gonna be fun, man. It still is. And
0: so, has there been any? Do you follow it pretty close? As far as what? Just like the game of like the NFL and sports in general. I guess what I was gonna ask is like with the lack of ticket sales, like do you think that's gonna change anything drastically? Um, or because I mean, obviously there's a significant amount of revenue coming in from ticket sales. Yeah. So I mean, is that any thoughts or any, have you heard anything? I don't anything? know how
1: they're going to handle that. That's got You know, I've thought about it because season ticket holders and stuff are, are being told, you know, basically you, 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 are not going to, you have to pay for the seats, you know, that Even you're not going to be able to use. Really? Or if you tried or, or you don't want to pay for them, you might lose those seats. Say in the next round of when they come back to hand out season tickets the following year or so.
0: Are they giving them at a discount at all? or
1: Yeah, yeah. So they've discounted them, but it's you know like Saint season tickets, man. Or you got to be on the wait list for over ten years to wow. even even get a seat. So it's you don't want to lose those LSU. Same thing. I mean, you know, you got. You got guys that have tickets that, you know, they've, they've been passed down. I was going to say, so. would you
0: say the majority of season ticket holders in like for say Tiger Stadium and then Mercedes Dome are all like generation Yeah, you Yeah, a lot of them
1: get passed down. You know, a lot of them you get lucky. I, you know, I've been on the trying to get my own tickets. You know, I've got family members that all have season tickets and stuff, but trying to get my own tickets, I've been trying since 2006, if that gives you any. Yeah. What? Yeah. So and and I, still not- I've gotten one call, but it was for one seat. And what? I've got two bids in, yeah, for, for two sections that I was really looking at. And, you know, the guy was like, well, hey, if you get this one seat, he goes, next year, you have a better chance of getting two but the one seat was like on the 50 yard line and, the you know, 100. So right there on the field and it was, I'm not going to pay $3,000 for one seat. You know what I mean? So, oh my goodness. Yeah, That's crazy. Just intense, man. Mm-hmm. Intense, so, but, so
0: they're not going to have any fans this year? Do you yeah,
1: know? no, it doesn't look like they're going to have many. I, I, you know what's crazy though? The Army football, right? They just had a game. I can't remember who they were playing this last weekend. But they had some of the students in the stands. They looked oh. like quite a few of them.
0: Okay, so good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad to see that. I think you know. Yeah, getting people back in because you know that that's the home field advantage, right? You know us, yeah. Us Saints fans try to you know take claim as, as being you know influencers of the game. You know, yeah. Which I still I've been to a lot of stadiums and I've still never been to a stadium as loud as Mercedes Benz. Really, Superdome man, it's it's one of the craziest. Fun atmospheres, right? The fans are awesome. I've never seen, you know, Saints fans treat, you know, visitors with disrespect. Okay. Like I went to L.A. last year to go to the Rams game. If anybody's listening, they're from California. Don't take offense to this, but they were some hostile fans. Really? Yeah, my brother and I flew into L.A. to go watch the Rams play, and that was the game that Breeze got his... Thumb injury, so okay. it was just smack talking the entire game. We ended up getting beat, you know. It was Teddy mm. Bridgewater's first game coming back in, and it was just uh, it was a bloodbath, man. Oh and,
0: no! Did you guys wear your Saints jerseys? Oh yeah, man. Of we were
1: you know hard, hard. So, but the Rams fans were just oh, it they was were mean, huh? Oh god, man, really? talking smack, like and <laughs> and we're sitting there, my brother. You know, he's a really kind hearted guy, and and i'm a little louder than he is right yeah. so i was saying stuff back and my brother's like dude you gotta get us killed before we even leave the no state. kidding <laughs> he said, l.a's not the place to mess around wow
0: so. that's crazy yeah tensions can get hot over oh, over yeah, sports man oh, yeah. yeah it's a it, passion yeah no in, in canada we typically handshake and hug if people are losing you know <laughs> and down here it's like they just want to give the old knuckle sandwich to any time someone starts flipping <laughs> oh, no, off it's crazy <laughs> So speaking of sports, avid golfer, I've meant to ask you for a long time, how long, you've been playing for a while or where, how'd you get into golf?
1: Yeah, I didn't grow up playing, you know, until I got into high school. I, I started yeah. playing my freshman year, some McGregor blades that my dad used to have okay. that were probably, I, I don't know, older than I was at the time for sure. And
0: blades are harder to hit oh, with, right? Oh, crazy,
1: yeah. Crazy hard to hit. I, I still couldn't hit those clubs if I tried, which, oh, wow. you know, and I, I never really took lessons. I just, you know, loved playing loved getting out on the course. I like being outside playing. It was fun being with your friends and mm-hmm. guys I played with were good growing up. A lot of the guys that were on like my high school team. And so it was, you know, just a fun sport to play that you could be outside for four hours walking and, yeah. you know, and then when you were able to drive a golf cart, that was cool too, right? And at 16, <laughs> yeah. you're driving a golf cart and it just, it, it adds to the excitement of being out there, right? Yeah. You know, we probably did some really stupid things with those golf carts. Yeah, and I got a bunch of stories, but we won't we won't divulge that cause I could probably still lose some money over that. Yeah, I <laughs> <So, laughs> don't want somebody to bring up a lawsuit. That might still, <laughs> still be able to you know get me, but yeah. but yeah, I play a lot, man. I enjoy it. You know, and I don't obviously don't get to play as much right now mm. with the new baby, but yeah, that was the best part about you know COVID and 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 being into golf was. It's one thing that really didn't slow down. The courses didn't close. Yeah, I think initially some did. Right, but they got around it. You know, as far as you know, hey, one person in a cart. You know, driving range is closed. You know, but you got to think it's a sport where you're 200 yards from the nearest group at a minimum. You know, and yeah, and, you know, you, that's four as guys out there. Social distancing is social oh, distancing. It's about as social as you, yeah, distancing as you can get. And, yeah, you know, I I played a lot. I was playing like two to three times a week during oh, COVID, nice. man, Good and for that was you. the only way to get custom You know, I you know friend customers and you know whatever you know other yeah. guys that just were looking to stay in front of people and, and and network it was great man i you know got to play a lot so mm-hmm.
0: how important for you has been has golf been for your job and business development i mean talk a little bit about the sales aspect and maybe the importance of someone who's maybe getting into sales like you really should try and get good at the game of golf. I mean, yeah, you know, you, what's your stance on that?
1: There's that cliche, you know, three things you got to own as a salesman: a shotgun, a set of golf clubs, and a fishing pole, right? Yeah. You know, because you got to be you got to be able to check those three boxes if you're going to be good. Yeah, <laughs> which it, you know, it, I I see some some truth in that, but you know, I love to fish. I grew up fishing. The hunting thing, I never really grew up hunting, so you know, I, I kind of have that box hazy checked, right? It's yeah. not not fully checked, but I could still shoot, right? But yeah. the golf thing's been good, you know. Not everybody likes to play golf, but you don't realize how personal you can get with somebody unless you're riding in a golf cart for 4 hours with them, right? Like That's I mean, so there's true. a lot of time that you sit there talking, you learn a lot about them, and it's never about work when you're out there. I don't think I had I can't tell you how many times I've, I've ever had a Like a serious work conversation on a golf course. Yeah. Never happens. Mm -hmm. You know, because we're just focused on the game, having fun, you know, gaffing off, getting to know each other. Yeah. And then uh, we might talk some shop in the clubhouse afterwards or, you know, while we're, you know, grabbing a beverage or, a sandwich or, you know, what have you. But yeah, it's a good avenue to get to know people. You know, you get some real intimate time with people and, and, and get to learn a lot about them. So mm-hmm. and you get to see people's temperament as well. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. You, you know? learn a lot about somebody. The most frustrating, relaxing sport in the world. Right? Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, I know, man.
0: Tell me about it. You know, it's so true. And I, it's just having that intimate time with someone else. It builds that level of trust. Like you said, you get to know them, you build rapport And it. To me, it opens up opportunities to be invited to certain things a right binge, yeah. yeah and and so that was one thing that early in my career i noticed that my original boss he's a very good golfer and he got invited to all sorts of things and and i see now you know there's value in someone who's good at that mm-hmm. because it opens up opportunities opens oh, yeah. up doors you know and it's just the networking aspect which you know in our industry is extremely important and oh, yeah. even you know right now with the way things are going you know there's not as many happy hours or if any and so having those opportunities to be invited to certain games and you know in a lot of like Management, C-suite level people—that that's kind of their, you know, game of choice. Oh, and yeah. so, it's certainly, you know, it, there there is value of, of learning to be good at that. Or whether, you know, if your kind of specialty is fishing, and you know, get invited to different fishing events or bringing people who like that. But there is, you know, it's kind of oftentimes people frown upon salesmen for going out and just playing. Yeah. But the business development aspect of that, and 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 how long it takes to build strategic relationships with mm-hmm. customers. Like you so see, you kind of have to check all the boxes because if not, your competitor is probably trying to. So, oh,
1: yeah. And you don't, you don't got to be good, right? I mean, as <laughs> yeah. long as you're quick. Yeah. And I always tell guys that, you know, like I'm not great at golf. There's no hiding that. You know, I, I'm like a 14, 15 handicap. So it's, if anybody that plays a lot knows that that's not, I'm not outstanding. I enjoy playing, you know, yeah. like, I, as long as you're playing quick and you're not holding everybody up. And, yeah. It can be fun for all levels, right? Oh so, yeah,
0: no, it, it's a great, it's great. Like you said, it's the most frustrating, <laughs> relaxing sport in, in the world. And it's funny because you could hit thirty bad shots and then you hit one good shot off the tee. That and brings like, you back. Like yeah, I think I, there's potential here. Yeah, there, yeah. There's potential. I, I mean, I
1: might be able to get my card next year. Yeah. Know, you know, <laughs> PGA, here I
0: come. Right. Well, before we get talking about work, I just want to quickly mention too, you're ex-marine, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. How did you get into the Marine Corps?
1: Well. As- Probably a very long story. In a nutshell, I didn't make a lot of great decisions in high school. You know, okay. not that I didn't make a lot of great decisions. I just you know, school. I was wasn't really a hundred percent in. Yeah. you know, on school. Yep. You know, my mind raced a lot. You know, my parents kind of work different shifts, right? So my my parents were both nurses. So I think you know, my mom working night shift, and my dad, you know, working. He'd be gone before we woke up. So you know, having to take care of ourselves as young kids and. I would say the lack of supervision not bad on their part but it kind of let me get a little astray you know from time to time and sure so by my sophomore year in high school i'd realized like you know 9 11 had happened you know when i was in junior high and it coincidentally as my birthday Mm. so i just kind of always felt kind of a calling to want to go and serve and you know growing up at the peak of you know kind of the wars that were taking place it It was a big calling of mine. So by my sophomore year in high school, I knew that that's what I was going to do. So I had signed up in the DEP program, which is the delayed entry program for the Marine Corps. And, you know, it's probably the easiest recruit that my recruiter ever had because I just walked in there and she, you know, they didn't have to sell me on anything. I told them, I said, listen, I want to be a Marine and I want to be in the infantry. So it was very easy for, you know, they try to talk me out of it, you know, because my ASFAB score was really good.
0: Mm, What is that?
1: They test like your skills, right? It's kind of the SAT for the military, right? Okay. And I had scored really high, and I, I I basically could have done anything I wanted to in the Marine Corps, the Navy, or, you know you name it, I, I could have gone any route I wanted to go. But you know, some some little bug in my head, you know, was was telling me, hey, you know, you want to go carry a gun and kick down doors? <laughs> yeah, Standard no, that's fun.
0: it's people in the Marines. There's quite a few that we work with, and one of my good friends, who's actually my business partner with the gym, is ex-Marine, and yeah, the certain level of work ethic and things that. I mean, the fundamentals of life that get taught from, Mm -hmm. you know, just through hearing and listening and seeing kind of help really build a lot of character and and build on, you know, a certain framework that contributes to a lot of the success. So I guess the one question I had, and then we'll move on to more of the oil and gas side of it is what's the biggest, you know, life lesson or takeaway from being in the Marine Corps that's helped you along the way?
1: Obviously they, they grill a lot of, you know, real good fundamentals into your head as far as, you know. Just having a great work ethic and, mm-hmm. you know, never never stopping, kind of always keeping those wheels going in your head, being real determined to, you know, get the job done. But, you know, I, I would say there's really, it might be cliche, I don't know. The biggest lesson I took away, you know, after, you know, going overseas, coming back and getting out was, you know, basically the fragility, if that's a, even a real word to use. <laughs> I think I, it is. Yeah. Of life, right? You know, yeah. how fragile life actually is. Mm. I mean, it's, it's you, you can see a lot you know in person and and i think it humbles you right you know to be aware that you know any second you know it can be taken mm. so it definitely tells you basically to live like your life you know 100 yeah. percent going forward so
0: no that's cool man that's a great takeaway man i always like to ask that question because without having you know been doing it it's just kind of hearing that from other people it always helps yeah kind of you know with certain perceptions and there's a lot to learn from people who've gone through the Marine Corps. I mean, they make great hands, you know, whether it's oilfield or whoever. But, yeah. you know, there's a lot of companies who pride themselves on hiring, you know, strategically hiring people from the Marine Corps because there's a certain level of, like, they know what they're getting. Oh, yeah. And nine out of ten times, it's a win. So... Just certainly want to bring that up, and then thanks for your service, man. Oh, I mean, oh
1: man, it was my pleasure.
0: Yeah, no, I think that uh, like I, I was it thankful that saying. I got
1: the opportunity to serve.
0: Yeah, no, it's huge, man. I I have so much respect for people that <laughs> take that dive because the risk is is certainly probably more than anything in, that most people would encounter not doing it. So anyway, so let's move on oil field. You yep. know, so obviously you go to the Marine Corps, you come back. Yep. Did you jump in the oil field or how did you end up getting on in Thoba?
1: Yeah, man, my story was. I guess like everybody else is very unique. I'm a first-generation old field. Like I said, my parents were nurses, so I figured that's what I was going to do when I got out was go to, like most kids, I was like, well, how do I have the life that my parents had? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I achieve that? And I was like, well, I just go become a nurse or surgical tech or, you know, whatever. So that's kind of what I thought I was going to do when I got out. I was a little lost right when I got out of the Marine Corps, like most guys, you know, it's very, it's a foggy time in your life. And, you know, I was going to go back to school, started going to school, and I was bartending at the time. Mm-hmm. And I had met a guy, one of my regulars that kept coming in, and typical what you would think that money looks like, right? This guy always walked in with a suit, you know, cufflinks, suspenders, slick back hair. Dude looked like he was just bleeding money. Yeah. And he was a real nice guy. I mean, he was my one of my good regulars that was always there, and I knew his drink. I knew his, you know what he was going to order before he didn't have to say anything. After a couple of months of that, you know, he had asked me what I was going to school for. And I don't even really remember how we got on the conversation. He was just telling me, he said, man, he said, I see the way you run the bar, right? And he's like, you, you should be in sales. You know, you should really think about that. Like, has anybody yeah. ever talked to you about like the wool field? And I was like, no. I said, why is that what you do? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I work, you know, he worked at Canrig at the time. And I won't okay. mention his name. I don't know if they knew how much time he spent at the bar, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get him in trouble if he's still there, but yeah, yeah he told me, he said, man, I think you'd be really good. He goes, listen, I've got an opportunity for you. Here's these four-day pass to this conference called OTC coming up. No way. And he was like, you know, take it, go just meet people. Just go talk to people, look at the technology, see if there's anything that interests you, and bring a couple of resumes in case. Yeah. I didn't realize that you really weren't supposed to bring resumes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's like Thursday, they have the student day. I didn't know that though because I'm oblivious to this stuff. So I go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, walking around, man, just talking to people. I went to every booth I could, you know, I started at on one side of the show outside, made it inside. Wow. And then by Thursday, I only had a little bit of the show left to walk around at, but I had handed out a couple of resumes Monday through th- or Wednesday and, you know, didn't really get any good feelings about it. You know, a lot of people were, you know, kind of like, oh, here comes another guy that wants a job, you know, right now it's in the middle of the boom too, right? It's 2000, what was that? 2011. Okay. So, and- Luckily, the last booth I stopped at on Thursday was a booth Fluid Systems, you know, and I met Pete Hoffman, who's the vice president there. Mm-hmm. He took, you know, an hour to talk with me, brought me upstairs in the booth, wow. was real interested in my story, you know, about the military and, you know, I hadn't had that feedback the whole the whole show, right? Wow. I hadn't had somebody wanna sit there and really dive into it and he asked me if I had a resume, I handed it to him and he said, hey, come in on Monday, next Monday, just, you know, meet the owner, quick little interview. Good. So I went in there on Monday and they hired me that day. And I what? Said, yeah, I That's crazy. Broke out in the field that way. Well, I didn't, I, so I didn't break out into the field. I broke out in the office, right? So yeah. they didn't have any, you know, really what I wanted to get in, I wanted a roughneck. I wanted to, you know, get experience on the rig, right? It gelled with the Marine Corps, right? I've heard about the camaraderie on location, all this. Yeah. And kind of the chain of command out there is very similar to what you would see in, like, a rifle squad, right? Okay. You know, So, you know, you got your team leaders, your squad leader, you know, your platoon sergeant. All, I mean, it all kind of is very similar to, you know, everything from your tool pusher down to your, you know, roustabout. You yeah, know? that's so cool. It really, it, it was attractive to me. So, I wanted to do that. I wasn't getting any, you know, good leads because, again, I didn't have anybody really mentoring me to get in. So, mm. I didn't really know, like, or do I... Do I go to H&P? How do I do this? How do I even get into that? Yeah. So I figured, I said, well, this will get me into the industry, right? And then I'll find a way to get out to a rig, mm-hmm. you know, and, and get in that way. So I started doing some inside sales work with them and then working in the shop as well. They were a solids control manufacturing company. So mm-hmm. we built shakers, you know, tanks, shaker screens, you name it. I mean, they were doing a lot there. And so I, I, I got a lot of hands-on experience about, you know, them building the shakers, building screens, got to, you know, get real Involved with the manufacturing process of it and started yeah. helping out with inside sales. And about three months into inside sales, I think Pete realized he's like, dude, I can't keep this guy in the office. Like, I was setting up meetings outside the office, which I shouldn't have been doing, you know, and <laughs> I was getting in front of customers. And it was just kind of a natural, natural thing for me. I was like, well, I don't want to just sit here and pick up the phone and call 500 people a day, you know, and yeah. be that guy. I don't want to be a, you know, a phone center. Yeah. I was like, well, why don't I just meet this guy in person? Why don't we just go have lunch or, you know, whatnot? And, yeah. So Pete was like, dude, he goes, just, just go, just, you know, go out there and and start closing some deals if you can. And, you know, we'll we'll make this transition happen and started being outside sales and an opportunity arose for me to go out to the field in San Antonio for the Eagleford to go push screens. So I was all about it. I was like, oh yeah, man, two weeks I moved my family or just me and my wife at the time to San Antonio. Well, we weren't even married at the time. We were just engaged. So I moved us to San Antonio Started running out in the field and spent as much time on the rigs as I could. But then I fell in love with selling screens, man. I, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. So I ended up not taking that week to go work on the rigs. But I, I like I said, I, you know, running out in the field, hanging out with the mud engineers as long yeah. as I could, helping them out. I was helping repair shakers, you know, spending the night on the rig sometimes too, you know, just to get, you know, some stuff done for them. So, wow. but servicing screen boxes was how I kind of broke out into the field. And nice. then... Started up FSI Screens, which was a company, a subsidiary of Fluid Systems. Started that up. It was just me, a forklift and a warehouse in San Antonio. No kidding. <laughs> we ended up having, you know, at the end of it, I think at our peak, we were over, you know, 50 rigs with screens on it. So I got a, I got a screen runner to help me, got a field sales guy under me. And then that kind of grew. And then we started selling equipment through it. And they moved me back to Houston and put me over the North American sales manager position. So Wow. Yeah, I left San Antonio, left FSI Screens in some good hands, and then moved back to Houston and basically got put over all the sales for fluid systems. Nice. Did that for about a year, year and a half. And then I got an opportunity at Boss man, which was definitely something I wanted to get into more on the operational side, right? Yeah. Um, I like dealing with the operator. You know, it was... Not that I didn't like dealing with service companies. I just preferred, you know, going directly to the, the mothership, right? As yeah. As I would say, you know, mm-hmm. dealing with the operators was always, always intriguing to me, you know, getting to learn more about the drilling operations. Yeah. That's so, crazy.
0: So being in the field, I mean, obviously that kind of gave you some good understanding or fundamental learnings about operations. So was oh it pretty yeah. natural to transition going from dealing with service companies to then, you know, you said going straight to, you know, the oil and gas operator. Oh, yeah. The actual one drilling the well to then dealing with them because... I remember when we were, you know, we were on the same account and I mean, it was kind of right when you first started with boss and, and you went in there and I mean, you seemed like you hit the ground running.
1: Yeah. Dealing with the operator, man, that field experience is, is vital, you know, getting to see the operation, just understanding what they're doing out on location and understanding some of the problems that they're seeing. You know, it definitely set me up for success when I went to boss because I was building all the equipment that say a service company like boss was running. Everything from, you know, the centrifuges, which we didn't build, but we sold, we were a rep for a manufacturer for them and, you know, down to their shaker tanks, the troughs and everything. So understanding how that equipment's built, the purpose of it, and, and then actually going out on location and, and spending a lot of hands on time with the equipment and helping, you know, wherever I could. Like yeah. I said, you know, I asked every time I went out to service the screen box, I asked, is there anything I can do with your shakers? You know, y'all need any deck rubbers changed out, you know, just, just to help out. Right. Because yeah. You know, derrick hands aren't always going to change out the deck rubber. It's probably one of the biggest pain in the butt job, right? You know, you never want to do it, but it's so vital for some of these shakers to, to yeah. have that happen. And <laughs> yeah. so going out there, just seeing if I needed to change screens for them, change deck rubbers and and help when they had shaker issues. Basically, I turned into a dang service tech <laughs> as well. So, yeah. you know, I'd get calls from some of my operators that would be like, hey, man, we, we keep getting some conveyance issues on our shakers. You know, can you come out here and take a look at them? I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm just, you know, kind of all, you know, wearing 20 hats at this point, you know, doing sales service, you know, managing the company. Wow. And that's what I enjoyed, man. You know, a lot of the guys, I I think a lot of my my real close customers put a lot of faith in me, you know, and it it was felt good to be, you know, somebody that they could rely on, you know, and if I couldn't help them, they knew that I could get somebody out there that would help them. You know, They, they knew that anything that soon as it was something wrong with the shakers, drying shakers or anything they knew that, you know, it was somebody that I could get, you know, them in touch with, you know, so it was, it was, it was good to be relied on in in a sense, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: Well, it's, again, it comes back to building that reputation amongst your customers and and having, you know, being a resource, I think is so important for customers. And that was one thing during COVID and quarantine and stuff like that. Like, (laughs) while I wasn't going to go out and be like, Hey, you know, do you need any drilling fluids considering you're dropping all your rigs like that, but, but offering up you know your service or or offering yourself up as a resource for anything oh yeah do you need help with your family? Do you need, you know, do you guys need toilet paper? Like, oh, yeah. you know, anything. And, and if they can rely on you for whatever it is, whether it's business related or not, it just really increases that network density amongst, you know, your peers or customers or potential customers down the road. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's just constantly giving more than you're taking and offering up services is, again, I think that adds to the success and, uh-huh. and you know, the trust and the reputation that, you know, all we're all trying to gain as we <laughs> move down our career path. And which it sounds like you've, you figured that out.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And yeah, it's funny, I've been away from that company now for, for about a year and a half, and I still get calls from yeah. guys that I was working with that are, you know, asking, you know, for help with, <laughs> you know, still with some shaker issues and stuff and screen issues, right. and, you know, what, what do we do with this? And so it's still, I mean, it still carries on and, you know, I'm never going to not have the time to help anybody, you know, especially guys that were helping put food on my family's tape, you know, yeah, table for, for a long time. Yeah. So. And that I think that's a big key. Like you had asked about new sales guys coming into the industry, the loyalty that you have to your customers, they'll see that, they'll know that. And I mean, if they can call you at two in the morning and they know you're going to answer the phone, doesn't matter if it's Sunday, it goes a long way. You know, Mm -hmm. I've gotten calls on Sunday, you know, morning, and they're like, "Hey, man, we're having issues in Wyoming with shakers or you know screens or whatnot," and I'll be on a plane that you know that afternoon, the first flight I can get out to Wyoming, just to make sure we get that addressed and, and taken care of. And I think when when your customers, clients, you know, when, when they see that and they understand that, that that's the type of work ethic that you have, it, it goes a long way. And then that work will continue to grow, you know, yeah. from there. It'll, it'll naturally evolve. And then word of mouth spreads and mm-hmm. you start you start getting calls from people that you never met, but somebody recommended you. So it's.
0: Yeah. And it goes back to me as like how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yep. And if you do everything to the best of your ability and give yourself this highest expectations you possibly have can it just it increases the surface area that luck lands on because mm-hmm. be like oh you're so lucky like you landed this and you got that and you got a call from here and it's like yeah but it was all the little things that i did yep. throughout my career that eventually added up to the to this time oh yeah and so exactly it, it may have been a like you said that one phone call you got at two in the morning five years ago someone remembered that and like you know what that son of a gun there he was committed and and mm-hmm. i can rely on him and so he's definitely getting the first call yep so obviously you made a pretty solid impact over Boss and, and have done extremely well. And, and, you know, due to some shakeups and, and just industry circumstances, opportunities present themselves. Sure. And now you've landed in a pretty neat spot, man. So why don't you go ahead and tell us where you're at now?
1: Yeah, the time at Boss, unfortunately, was cut short due to, you know, COVID and the industry, you know, it, what's taking place in the industry right now. But, you know, I had left there just uh, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, or not even that long and jumped over with uh, Arion, good group of Broussard boys. Yeah. So it's exciting, man. I've always known about the company from my time with fluid systems. You know, they obviously, them being a service company, they use shakers, they use screens. So they were a company I always knew of, had a lot of respect for Matt and Ben, two brothers over there. Cool. And Matt reached out to me. He got a, a one of those recommendations. He got a recommendation from a, an operator that had done some work with me in the past and said, hey, listen, with everything going on at Bosch right now, you know, maybe give Jordan a call, see if, you know, it'd be a good fit. I think he'd, he'd work out well with you guys. And Matt hit me up for lunch and the rest was history, man. We, we met and, you know, really hit it off very, very similar thought processes on, you know, kind of the direction the industry's going and where we want to see solids control and say backyards at in the next two to five years. And they were way ahead of what I thought they were really? right, when we met. So as far as you know, on the, on the technology side. So intriguing, man, it was a, a great launch. And I, I, you know, I was talking to a few other companies at the time, but mm-hmm. it was just this, I, I just felt a good calling. You know, my gut was telling me, Hey, you know, maybe the fact that they were from Bruce Art also you know, kinda, <laughs> a little biased. Yeah. Maybe a little biased, but
0: you yeah, know, no, that's uh, good though. I mean, obviously things, you know, again, people coming from the same Core area, a lot of the same visions, a lot of the same values, and and you know a lot of things align, so it 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 makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. like you said, a lot of core values that we shared, and you know we were both kind of interviewing each other really at the time, you know, and everything he was saying, he was speaking my language, you know, as far as I think the big direction this industry is going, you see it, you know, it doesn't matter what side of the industry you're on, right, or what part of the industry you you have a play in data and technology and you know remote capabilities i think are, are vital you know going forward you know visibility right real time visibility on location mm-hmm. is something that you know is is going to be essential right yeah i mean if you don't have it you're not going to be in the game here within the next couple of years but the remote monitoring that they do the, that that was one of the things that really caught my attention okay you know it it was basically for their centrifuges pumps you know everything that's taking place in the backyard being able to real time, you know, see what, what's taking place out there on a dashboard, whether on your phone, computer, you know, and have an operator logins for that so the operator can log in and, and assign logins to, you know, key individuals within the company that that need to see this information or that are intrigued by it. Right. But they took a different approach with it, which was really, you know, eye-catching. They instead of taking the normal approach trying to find an oil and gas tech company that Specializes in some stuff like this because it technology's been around, right? The idea of remote monitoring with your centrifuges and, and and that that's been around, but the struggles are you know getting on the operator's bandwidth, getting on the rig bandwidth, mm-hmm. you know Wi-Fi, spotty Wi-Fi, especially everybody that's been in New Mexico knows that your phone never works, <laughs> so it's. It's always been a struggle to get real time data, you know, sent back to wherever you're wanting to send it, right? Where you're collecting this data, but not being able to send it anywhere and use it is it's wasteful, right? So they went to a company in Silicon Valley, had no dealings with oil and gas. Hmm. So very outside the box approach and linked up with this company, explained what they want to do, explained what Arion does and the company, hey, built a cloud for them and everything's done now through the cloud so it's wow that's yeah, crazy trust me i'm not the guy to talk nerdy about this stuff i we, we got a guy his yeah. name's jeff uh, okay. he's real smart real sharp and and he i'm sure he'd love to talk nerdy with anybody that wants to talk real nerdy <laughs> about this but yeah. it's very cool like so say you're you you've got 5 rigs and you're operator a and you want to be able to see everything that's taking place in the backyard with these 5 rigs right as far as what are your centrifuge parameters set at what are your pump rates You name it. There's thousands of KPIs that they can plug into this for sensors for the real-time monitoring. You can open your dashboard from your computer, your phone, and basically see what's taking place on the rig. Wow. And all this stuff gets captured onto this cloud, and it's down to the second, I mean, real-time. And there's really no lag either because, like I said, it's on a cloud. You're not having to worry about the Wi-Fi signal or anything like that. So. It'll also send you alerts as far as if you have a centrifuge go down, you know, a pump go down, you you name it. It'll send out a text message alert or an email alert to whoever you have on the list. So say you want your field supervisors and your mud engineer to get these alerts. The operator can just assign these people and you'll plug in the information. That way, if something does happen, it'll send out an alert real time to these guys. So you're getting this information because... On the solids control side, I mean, things, pumps break, right? I mean, they go down. Centrifuge's belts, you know, you name it. There's countless of things that can go wrong with the equipment back there, you know, that would hinder operations for, you know, a period of time. So being able to stay on top of that and not get the word, you know, six hours later that something was wrong and it's coming in the form of an operator or drilling engineer yelling at, you know, hey, why has this been down for six hours and I'm not finding out about it until just now? It's like, well... We've got a solution for that now. Yeah. So it's just real fascinating, man. And the idea of this is to get to a point to where everything is going to be visible, real-time retorts, you know, real-time mud weight, you're you're going to see LGS, all this stuff is, it's basically going to be a real-time mud check on a smart box for the backyard. Hmm, That's crazy. So yeah, we want to get it to the point to where the operator has full visibility of what's going on. That way, if you're drilling like a four-well pad and say two of those wells didn't perform, As, you know, your KPIs weren't met on the mud side, right? For LGS, you know, you had issues maintaining weight, you name it, whatever. Yeah. You can go back and plug in the start date, end date on this platform and see what was taking place in the backyard, right? So Mm. what were your, what was your pump settings at? You know, how long did you actually run the centrifuge? It's not a guessing game anymore. You know, what were you running the centrifuge at? Versus those two wells that performed, you know, where we met the KPIs that were, you know, in place. So it's being able to take data and actually be effective with it, right? Yeah. So utilizing data. I mean, a lot of people collect it, but don't really know what to do with it. Yeah. I think actually digging in and I mean, looking at this stuff and being able to see, you know, real visibility, you know, from start to end is vital. And it's going to be, it's going to be a huge factor in the way that, you know, the backyard improves and, you know, makes mud engineers' lives a little easier too. So, you know, if we can become more effective, you know, the whole ship is...
0: That's really neat. And I think a lot of it too, not only comes down to just being able to monitor things real time, which is obviously extremely important, but ultimately having that control, like you said, if you can kind of be monitoring five, you know, wells at a time, let's say, and if you could essentially eliminate people from, you know, having... Now, granted, you're always going to need people in the backyard, but if you can maybe somehow automate... And remove some of the personal sort of like the manual labor side of it. I don't know if that's possible. But, you know, from an HSE perspective, I could see in the future, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, you know, now they're drilling an MWE coordinator in Houston can sort of run, you know, a handful of wells and essentially drill from Houston versus having all the people out on the rig. Mm -hmm. I mean, it comes down to the, you know, the ultimate vision of being a fully automated drilling rig that may play into it eventually. I mean, yeah, I don't and, know.
1: and there is some pretty cool rig technology out there. I don't know if a lot of it's being utilized due to the market conditions right now, but we already are there with the automation. You know, like you said, we can control the centrifuge settings mm. from the platform. Wow. We don't do that right now, obviously, you know, cause you still got hands on locations and it'd be kind of a it's a good safety feature to have right and we're in this technology still being played with we're you know they're learning as they go with this and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger so it's going to be really fascinating like you said I, i think one of the big things that right now what this does off the bat is say you you know on the service company side you have a supervisor right that's over a handful of rigs say he's over those five rigs or four rigs whatever you know and he can see those centrifuge settings real time what's taking place in those backyards? Maybe he can't get in touch with the technician, whether, you know, the technician's not picking up the phone or the phone service is really bad. Mm-hmm. Now he doesn't have to worry about, all right, I got to drive to this rig because I can't get in touch with this guy. You know, he can see what's taking place in the backyard just to make sure everything's good. Right. So at least it, you have that, right? You know, and maybe at the end of the day, it'll help, you know, supervisors not having to go out to, you know, so many different rigs every day. You take them off the road, which is a safety factor, right? Especially if you're driving in West Texas, New Mexico, those roads are probably... Some of the sketchiest to, yeah. to drive on. I think Afghanistan was a little safer. <laughs> <laughs> Not joking. Gee, yeah. But it's... Uh, West
0: Texas is no joke, man. man the amount is, of traffic uh, on there and the level of accidents. Yeah. So any, anytime
1: you can take somebody off the road, you're never going to have, you know, replace, you know, having a technician out there or having a supervisor go out there to make sure things are good. But if you can limit their time that they're having to spend on the road, maybe they don't got to go out to that rig every single day, mm-hmm. right? You know, having this visibility and being able to have control and... and and see what's taking place out there and make sure everything's being done effectively to the operator's needs. I think that's going to be vital going forward so
0: yeah no and it sounds like you landed at the right spot in order to make those things happen man so that's exciting dude well look we're coming up about an hour here so i want to respect your time in the audience obviously but a couple of last questions before we close out a little more on the personal side i'm sure you probably know these were coming but you know any daily habits or routines that help contribute to your success i mean you're obviously busy kiddos and you know a new job and i mean aside from getting on you know hit that little white ball around i mean is there anything else that you kind of daily try and tackle yeah, to diverse, set yourself up yeah. Diapers, diapers changing diapers no, I'm just- <laughs> oh putting your own diapers on <laughs> yeah
1: yeah <laughs> no i think too that i really have reading i like to read right okay. so i at least make an hour a day wow good for you know, You know right? to get into a book you know I, I like to reread some books that i've already read i'm rereading a book that i've read probably two times now already in the past what is year it? and a half Twelve Rules of Life.
0: Okay, yeah. Jordan Peterson. Yeah,
1: I love Jordan Peterson. Yeah, I could. I mean, when I'm cleaning the house, I put headphones on. I just go to YouTube and I type in like Jordan Peterson highlights. Like, yeah, because I just enjoy listening. I can listen to this guy talk for hours. Yeah,
0: he's no, a he's great so, philosopher. Oh, it's he's neat, man. If anyone out there hasn't listened to anything Jordan Peterson, has a little bit controversial at times, but yeah, I think he's
1: gotten a little, you know, yeah. If they, they painted that picture of him now, he's because everything's political, right? Everything, yeah, everything in this world's getting political. But if you if you kind of put the blinders on, the political blinders on, you, you kind of push that out yeah. and just listen to what he has to say. You know, it's really good motivational stuff, you know, for, mm-hmm. for teaching you how to kind of stay on track, you know, healthy habits for a good lifestyle and, yeah. you know, how to take care of your fat your house and everything, you know, yeah. good homekeeping.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Uh, no, I love it, man. I can identify with that.
1: That and then working out, you know, I, yeah, like I told you, I you know finally got off the couch a couple weeks back and <laughs> got back into that. So I you know put on some pregnancy weight. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's been it's been difficult for my figure. <laughs> right. But, um, yeah. You know, so wake up at five and go crank out. You know, a couple miles and some you know kettlebell workouts and, and awesome. whatnot in the garage. And you know, so good just try you. to start the day off good, right? Clear your mind and you know, yeah, get get going on a good foot. So no,
0: I, I always if I win the morning, I win the day. I feel like, and so if you can set yourself up for success right from the get go, that's you know. To me, the rest of the days, well, you know, you're kind of prepared for whatever comes at oh, yeah. you. At least, at least I can say, if I had a, you know, terrible day, at least I can say I, I bettered myself in some way. Yeah. <laughs> By getting some good fitness in and getting the blood flowing, because it's it all comes part and part, man. You, if you want to perform like a Ferrari, you need to keep the Ferrari in shape. That's so, it. but you know, I guess one last thing is, uh, do you have anything about yourself that na- not many people know about? I have one that comes to mind, but I don't want to ruin it. You may have something even better. But any good hidden secrets or anything you'd like to unleash the podcast world.
1: I'm kind of a nerd for saltwater fish tanks. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have a what we call in the industry a nano tank. You know, anything less than thirty gallons in the saltwater industry is called a nano tank. Yeah, they're really harder, you know, to maintain because it's kind of like a, you think of mud system, right? Larger mud systems are somewhat easier to maintain, right? Because the problems you know, that take place are, you know, larger volumes, Yeah. you know, so same thing with the saltwater tank, you know, the smaller the tank, the greater the problems and the faster they arise when, you know, you, you get out of balance with your uh, okay. you know, chemistry. So. Yes, yes. And then, yeah, the fish and corals and stuff like that. So I keep coral and fish and it definitely a uh, fun, and interesting, you. nerdy hobby. You know, yeah. how did you get into, into it? Man, I'd been looking at it for years. I'd always wanted one. I have no idea how I got into it. I think just I got lost in the the dark web you yeah. know, of, of YouTube one day. And yeah. this video popped up and I don't know how I got to it. And it was just suggested of saltwater tanks and started looking into it. And I, we had always kept, you know, freshwater fish, you know, like betta fish and stuff. My wife loved to have those around the house. Yeah. But this just intrigued me because it was a challenge. It's it's not easy, you know. And there's a lot that goes into it. It's not cheap either. So.
0: Yeah, I bet.
1: <laughs> you don't realize that until you, you most you adult get it.
0: hobbies are not cheap.
1: Yeah, man. So, but <laughs> it's definitely fun, man. It's my little piece of paradise. I would say at home, it's, you, it's the one thing I can keep clean, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so.
0: yeah. If the house is chaotic, at least yeah. you can look but at your tank, tank and great, be like man. pristine. Yes. Man, that's great. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with me. Well, man, it's been a pleasure. Before we take off here, I just want to take a moment to tell everyone about some upcoming OGGN events.
2: Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for December 2020. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events that I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two OGGN live streams, and on the third, we have Moving Up in a Downturn, and on the eighth, we have Quality Management in a Down Economy. The only in-person event we have this month is the API and SPE Houston Chapter Luncheon about the rebuilding of the American oil field, which will be at the Petroleum Club on the 8th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for December, and I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing Oilfield field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. Jordan, thanks for joining me today, no, man. It's been a pleasure, it. man. We always, you know, I feel like anytime we get together, we always have a good time yeah. and just great conversation. And so I'm finally glad we were able to do it behind a microphone. And oh yeah, man. I'm sure the audience certainly enjoyed it. Man, if people want to get to know more about you or know more about Arion, man, what's the best way to reach out?
1: Yeah, you can go to arion.com or, you know, you can look me up on LinkedIn. I'm active on LinkedIn. I think it's a great platform to use. So I'm Absolutely. always on it. Always open to meet new people. Like I say, never stop networking. So, you know, the larger your network, the better it is. So doesn't matter what you do in the industry or if you're outside the industry and you want to get some coffee or lunch Yeah, you know i'm always open to meet people so
0: awesome man well appreciate you putting yourself out there like that and man just keep doing what you're doing you're you know adding value to the industry and keeping this thing moving man so you know again thanks for your service thanks for everything you do for the oil field and everyone out there always remember when the density's up and the gas is down open the choke let's go to town thanks everybody Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.